This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, September 17th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. I thank you all for tuning in this hour. I'm going to do my very best to make it as informative and instructive for you as possible. We know there's a lot going on in the markets, and the market profile is changing somewhat as we power towards the end of the quarter, right? Only nine more trading days in the quarter in the month of September, which means we're into the fourth, almost into the fourth and final trading quarter of the year. And there's been a lot of unprecedented events so far in the past three quarters. And we know there's probably going to be a few more before the year is out. Why? Because it's a very contentious election season and you need to be prepared for volatility. And that's what you're starting to see now where, like I've been saying for a little while, I'm seeing signs of the growth side of the market, the exciting areas of the market, the areas where most new investors are playing. That's kind of unwinding, and it's been unwinding here for, let's see, three, six, nine, about 11 trading days or so. And we broke below the 50-day moving average in the growth first value trade, still above the 100, but that's the next line in the sand. Do we break it? Have we seen the peak in the tech stocks? Right, We have had a few big IPOs at massive valuations, just absurd 200 times sales uh, type of valuations, which frankly you only see when investors have thrown out all semblance of value right? that are only looking at the story. And the hype machine of Wall Street is in full effect. And so this is what broke the 2000 tech bubble was too many IPOs, right? Oversupply. We've also seen a reversal over the past uh, six months or so of stock buybacks. What does that do? That has been a tailwind to the market over the past decade. And because of a weaker economy, obviously the shutdown and the pandemic has changed balance sheets, or at least the view of balance sheets, the willingness and ability to take on debt to buy back shares. Right? So you, ha- you don't have the quantity of shares coming off the market like you have in the recent past. And you have a new flood influx of IPOs as well. So that's kind of the environment that you are seeing right now. And one of the reasons why those value names are starting to outperform for the first time in a while. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, I will do my very best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. I know you want and need strategies to help you deal with this volatility. 
So I'm here right now taking your calls, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. A quick look at the market. The S&P was down 28 points, but the big news once again was the NASDAQ. The, the, the NASDAQ was down 140 points, a little over 1%, and closed for the second time in the last week below the 50-day moving average. Once again, where will it hold the 100 is a big, big question. Now, you can already hear that I have a busy and information-packed podcast for you today. So let's get right to our first caller. Let's go to Mo in San Diego looking at you. What is you? Is that the symbol? Hey, Justin. So, so you is Unity Technologies. It's going to okay. IPO tomorrow. And uh, I have shares of it and wanted to know uh, what your thoughts are if I should sell on IPO day or wait. Or I know you generally don't uh, uh, like getting into IPOs in, within the first six months. But I wanted to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I go based on kind of the recent track record of similar IPOs, and this is a software company just like Snow that just came out yesterday, and Snow actually dropped today below its IPO price of $245 a share, closed at $227.54 today. So I don't, I haven't looked at, at Unity, to be honest with you. I don't know what the valuation is. Uh, is it anywhere close to 200 times sales like uh, Snow? Uh, I, that I don't know. I know that the anticipated price is around the 45 range. Well, I, I don't care about the, the ticket price because, once again, that's just that's just an advertising number. Okay, What matters most is what is the value, What what is the market cap. For example, Snow has a $63 billion market cap right now where they their run rate is up for somewhere around $500 million, uh, in in sales. Okay? So... Unity uh, looks like maybe $10 billion? I'm trying to get a sense of this because I don't see, like you said, it comes out tomorrow. One of my pieces of software says $34. Is that right? $34 would be yeah, me a $9 billion valuation. Right. Uh, looks like trailing 12 months, they, they've done some name of 600 So this is coming out about 15 times sales, which relatively is not, not nearly as bad. Um, you know, I, I think all these software IPOs are drastically overvalued. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them. I don't know enough about Unity software to say, oh, this is uh, this is a good buy or a good hold or, or good to sell. Uh, frankly, I don't know. I'd have to really dig into it. Um, but just judging by the space right now and how, how overvalued the space is in general, it's probably better time to unload some shares. What percentage of maybe your total net worth is are these shares? Uh, probably ten percent. Okay, cut it in half, five percent. There's, you know, I, I wouldn't go more. I wouldn't want to carry more than five percent, especially at the valuations that a lot of these IPOs are going out at today. So I, I would unload probably half. Thanks for the call, Mel. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and summer is basically behind us. But for investors, you need to remain vigilant through the end of the year and ongoing. We know there's a lot of crosswinds with a, a, a rough economic environment, but also government spending and uh, a tough government budget deficit and a contentious election coming up and contentious politics in general. 
And that means you need to be even more diligent in your work, in your study, in your analysis, and be able to manage your fear and greed to become a better investor. And that's what I'm here to do. Help you do a better job managing the risk and balancing your assets in your portfolio. How do you deal with volatility? That's what I'm here to help you with. We should talk about anything that is on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. It's an Invest Talk Thursday. Justin Klein is on duty, and he's happy to provide unbiased answers, but you've got to call with your questions. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. My focus point today concerns the story home builder sentiment has soared to a record high, but is there a red flag? We're going to discuss the highest reading in the survey's 35-year history. And But there are some headwinds to the industry as well that we're going to discuss. Also, with bond yields so low, what should retirees expect from bonds? How, what, what returns should you expect from an investment portfolio in general when you're considering allocating some of your assets to bonds, which you know most people should have some exposure on that side, just better of how much and what return expectation they should have. Next, retirement planning when you have enough. What does that mean? What is enough? And how you should think about your risk level when you do have enough money. And then lastly, I'm going to touch on Ray Dalio one of my favorite big thinkers in the marketplace and his recent interview. I think that will be pretty interesting and instructive. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I want to know from you, 888-99-CHART. And we're going to go to one of those caller questions now that came in earlier from Miami. Hey, good evening, Steve and Justin. My name is Evan. I'm calling from Miami Beach, Florida. I had a question about Teva Pharmaceuticals. Recently, they've been beaten up pretty bad with the uh, news of the DOJ. However, I feel as if it is a good value play for a long-term hold. Just interested in hearing your opinion on it. Thank you very much. Love the show. Bye. All right. This is Teva Pharmaceuticals, the largest producer of generic and generic drugs. They also produce some specialty, specialty drugs and OTC drugs as well over the counter. Uh, this is a company that made a lot of acquisitions, utilized a lot of debt in order to make those acquisitions. And then they had the regulatory issues with colluding on generic drug prices with other generic drug companies. And then you have the opioid issue, all that. And that is what has sunk the stock from a split of just high of 60 plus dollars a share. Now we're at $9.29 a share, only a $10 billion market cap. And the issue is their debt level. About 
$26.25 billion in debt on their balance sheet that they have been trying to, to pay down, and they have done so to some degree. Their all-time high in 2016 was about $36 billion. They've cut that by about $10 billion, but it's taken some asset sales and, and funneling cash flow from the business into paying down that debt and deleveraging their balance sheet, and that is the real issue here is that their earnings – are also down dramatically. 2014, they made, sorry, 2015, they made five dollars and forty-two cents a share. This year, they're only supposed to make two fifty-one and two sixty-four next year. So, this all the cash flow is going towards deleveraging their balance sheet, paying for a lot of these old acquisitions that they probably overpaid and just uh, aren't able to invest the right amount of money into the actual business to, to really grow it and make it run as properly as it, as it should. You know, that's the issue with over-indebted balance sheets is that not only do you have to funnel this cash that, uh, is, that, that that's coming from the business to the bondholders, right? The shareholders aren't seeing that, but the bondholders are seeing that money. But also, when you have too much debt, you make sacrifices, because you have to service that debt, otherwise you go bankrupt, and you can't put it into the R&D efforts and the, the business efforts that will really pay off in the long term. And that's why Teva continues to, to languish. So if they can pull out of this, it might take another five to 10 years to really utilize that cash flow to pay down the debt, to, to really get into a good financial position, then you know, uh, you could see them digging themselves eventually out of it, but you're going to have to be very patient and have confidence in the management. And they have good management. They brought in some good man, a good management team, but it continues to languish. So if, if this is a value play, you are correct, but it's an over indebted ba- value play that's going to need some more time to play out. So if you're going to play it, you have to be extremely, extremely patient and be willing to take a lot of volatility because guess what? It's down 32% from its 52 week high. It's not uncommon for highly indebted companies to be very volatile. Let's go to Jim in Sunnyvale looking at Bristol Myers Squibb. Hey, uh, Justin. Um, I, I own this stock. Um, I've been mm-hmm. owning it for a couple of months now, and it's kind of been jumping around this range, uh, seeing a little bit of resistance at its high in the upper 60s. Uh, if we see a little bit more of a drop on this stock, do you think it's a good buy? Well, uh, we like Bristol Myers overall. Uh, you, you know, w- I, around here, I'd say it's fairly valued, about sixty dollars a share. Uh, we've been we've cut it back recently for some of our clients in the the mid sixties. So our our entry price, to be honest with you, if I was having my my choice would be in the low fifty range. That's where I'm looking to pick it back up for clients. But I like that it's on your watch list. Now we're heading to a break, into the break. The phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, from time to time, I'd like to remind you that here on Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, 
based in Irvine, California. We operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So our job each weekday is to provide you unbiased guidance, and our job during trading hours is to practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So if you ever want help, if you ever need help, I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or Jive meetings. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine, California. Now, let me segue into my focus point today, which concerns home builder sentiment. Home builder sentiment reached the highest level in its 35-year history at 83 points, which was flat. Sorry, it was up from five points from September. And all of the index components rose to record highs. Current sales conditions rose four points to 88. Sales expectations in the next six months increased six points to 84. And traffic for prospective buyers increased nine points. So that was the biggest move. So a lot of people are out there looking for new homes. And a lot of this has to do with inventory or lack thereof in the existing home market. Now, the issue, however, in the industry right now is the rising costs of production and mainly lumber. Lumber prices have jumped over 170% since April. That adds $16,000 to the cost of your typical new home. A lot of this has to do with shutdowns of mills during the pandemic. Made it harder for workers to socially distance and wear protective clothing and supply suffered on top of that we have fires out here out west where there's a lot of timberland and that is also crimping demand making it harder for the loggers to get to the areas that they that they want that they need and so wirehouser the nation's largest lumber producer said on tuesday that Several of the fires have reached the company company's timberlands and is too but it's too soon to assess the effect of the acreage or potential business impact. So not only are you seeing increasing demand, cheaper borrowing costs, but also higher costs for lumber and employees. So that's really the issue here in the home market, or the new home market at least, is the supply of lumber is crimping the supply of new homes. 888 chart, 888 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 20, no, 30 minutes left in the show, so I encourage you to reach out. Now, our Invest Talk audience is growing month to month. New listeners call in and sometimes submit questions that we have covered previously. But with new listeners coming online, I don't mind hitting a topic again. So let's get a call in right now. Hi, Steve or Justin. I have four stock accounts, traditional IRA, Roth IRA, a regular stock account, and an education account. And I'm having difficulty figuring out what stocks to put in each one. You know, if I have, say, 20 stocks that I like, should I buy all 20 stocks in each account? Each account has varying amounts of money. 
or should I just put, you know, five that I like in one account, five that I like in another account? How would you guys go about deciding what to put in each account? Thanks. Bye. Well, I first start off with the taxability of any income that is coming into those accounts. So, for example, REITs. REITs are taxed at near ordinary income tax rate, which is typically higher than that qualified dividend rate, right, that you would get from you know, dividend income that you might get from a Procter & Gamble. So, I, if I'm owning REITs and I'm trying to decide whether I own them in a taxable account or a non-taxable account, I'm going to put them all in the non-taxable account, right? Because all that income is deferred. Eventually, it's going to become, you know, your taxable income tax rate, but you don't have to pay that today, right? Whereas a dividend coming from, say, a Procter & Gamble, that's going to be more advantageously taxed. And so I'd rather own those in a more taxable account. So that's the way I first think about it. Or bonds, for example. If you have bonds of some kind, that's also going to be taxed at ordinary income tax ordinary income tax rate if it's not a municipal. So that I would hold in maybe a tax deferred account. So that's something to think about as well. And then if you are planning to buy and hold a position for a very long period of time very long period of time that I want to hold in a taxable account right because year on year if I'm just holding it I'm not I'm not realizing that gain until way way down the line okay so you know there's there's a lot of ways to think about it. a lot of it has to do with tax planning right and talking to your CPA and figuring that as well depending on your tax rate as well as your dividend tax rate as well now the next invest talk oh i guess we're headed to the break right now i'm justin klein i'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99 chart at this point i think almost everyone has heard how generative ai promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution ai is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? 
Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, equity indices have risen to records and bond yields have sunk to all-time lows. So is it time for income-seeking investors to take a fresh look at utility stocks? That story tomorrow. But for now, let's dig into low rates in general and the bond market and how that looks in an overall portfolio, how investors should think about bonds from a portfolio allocation standpoint today. Now, in theory, the return on stocks is is just simply the return on bonds plus some kind of equity risk premium. And I know that sounds complex, but basically saying that when bond yields move down, yields on equities also move down, right? Just as bond prices move up when bond yields go down, so do equity prices, right? We've talked about this before, that low Bond yields, especially treasury yields, have a drastic impact on valuations of stocks. That's why you typically see inflated assets when interest rates are very low, including real estate, also equities. Now, bonds have always been, for the most part, the safest part of a portfolio. So if you're looking for safety, just because bond yields are relatively low doesn't mean that you get rid of them entirely. You just have to maybe rethink your allocation and ensure that you have the proper diversification over a longer period of time so that you aren't experiencing undue volatility that you can't handle. Now, one way you can do that is by lessening your duration, right? So not locking yourself into assets that will be very volatile, in if interest rates rise, right? So shorter duration assets, that may mean even higher levels of cash on the sidelines because your opportunity cost of investing that into safe bonds is relatively low right now, right? Because the 10 years at 0.7%. And so if you want a balanced allocation, Cash is one alternative. Also, precious metals. I think that's a good bond type of proxy. Okay? That is going to keep up with inflation. Now, another way you have to change your viewpoint of the market is longer-term expectations of bond returns. A lot of people look at the last five years or 10 years of a particular, say, bond fund and think that's what they're going to get going forward. And the reality is probably not. Whatever the prevailing yield is on that particular bond is likely going to be the return over the long term. So you have to think when you're planning for retirement, that will change your withdrawal rates as well. So low yields can play a big role in overall guidance towards your withdrawal rate if you are near or in retirement. Now, the average over the long term is 4%, right? That's the standard withdrawal rate. 
But if you use those same assumptions that the study a long time ago that came out with the 4% safe withdrawal rate, if you use those same assumptions today, you get less than 3%. Now, for most people, because maybe you're getting Social Security or pension or other income, the 4% withdrawal rate may be fine. But if yields stay this low for a long period of time, it could have a very drastic impact on how much people are going to be able to accumulate before retirement and earn in retirement as well. Now, Social Security is kind of the biggest anomaly here where it becomes even more valuable, right? Because the longer you wait to take Social Security, the more, the bigger increase you get. And a lot of times it's 6 or 7% every year that you wait. And you're not going to get that safely anywhere close to that in this kind of market. So it makes Social Security even more beneficial and makes it so you really need to try to focus on maximizing those Social Security benefits. And if you need help doing that, we do that. We can help clients with that when we develop financial plans. Uh, And then lastly, annuities. A lot of people think, oh, annuities, because you want to earn some sort of yield. Well, the yield is going to go down with overall yields in the the market. Uh, There's also the mortality credit that you get, which basically means that if you live long enough, you pool your assets with other people that are buying uh, the same uh, annuity, then you are going to be, if you live long enough, you'll be gaining what they're losing by maybe dying earlier. That's that difference. But that won't really change, right? That's just actuary assumptions. So overall, you really need to change your expectations of what bond yields and bond allocation is going to do for a portfolio. As you might know, we get Invest Talk caller questions from across America, and let's prove that right now. Here's one that came from Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Stephen, Justin, Chris from Nashville here. Long time, first time. Just went watch it. Yeah, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on ticker symbol EHTH eHealth. They have dropped almost 50% or so from what they were at in March, pre-pandemic, and I believe they had a quarterly call a little while back, and the word churn was used a few dozen times, and it caused a massive sell-off in their stock. What would you do with that? Uh, it looks like they've, uh, again, dropped a considerable amount and uh, looking to potentially get an entry point. Thanks for your help. All right, looking at eHealth, I actually purchased my dental insurance through eHealth, just FYI. Um, so I kind of like like them. Uh, but $2 billion market cap, and you're right, it has dropped pretty substantially. It's down 48.5% from its 52-week high of $152, and now it's at $78. But earnings are still expected next year to be an all-time high of $5.35 a share. The biggest risk here, I think, is the potential change in the uh, the, the healthcare insurance market, right? If Biden gets elected, how does that, the, do they change Obamacare? Do you have some sort of, uh, do you have some sort of, I don't know, single payer program that has passed? That's really, I think the biggest issue here. Uh, but I like what you're looking at overall, Revenue still is accelerating, although it has decelerated last quarter. How much of that has to do with the pandemic? I'm not sure. You talked about churn. Is that people canceling because maybe it costs too much? I know my health insurance went up a tiny bit over the past year. At least uh, my, it wasn't much. It was $5 a month or something, nothing crazy. So, uh, you know, I 
I kind of like it. I kind of like what you're looking at here. Uh, it's not too expensive if I'm looking at – where did I go here? Huh. My system just dropped another page. So sorry about that. Um, but I like I like eHealth. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of it. it. It does need to get above its – 50-day moving average, which it's up to right now, and that, from a technical perspective, would be very big because it has not conquered that since it broke it in June, and it would really need, for me, from a technical perspective, to get above that, to get excited about being in the name, at least for now, but I like what you're looking at, and I'm definitely going to keep my eye on e. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I encourage you to explore the finance and investment information we have over on our website, investtalk.com. It's completely free. You can learn more about various investment strategy opportunities that we offer through KPP Financial. For example, Equity Income Plus is a dividend investing with a boost, meaning it's a covered call strategy. So we only buy dividend-paying stocks and then write covered calls on top of that. And... uh, I know that can be complex for somebody, but it does give a nice extra boost of income on a monthly basis. Now, if you are serious about achieving financial freedom and you want to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California, you can learn more right now at investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hi, this is Mike from Tampa. I'm just calling to see what your thoughts are on McDonald's. I have a buy-in price of 208 and just wondering what you think the company will uh, end up for the next year, year and a half. Thank you very much. Bye. All right, looking at McDonald's here. Let's take a look at this. Hmm. Now, it's had a massive rally from its 52-week low of $124 a share. Now we're at $222 a share. Our fair value, however, is a little bit lower, uh, somewhere around $200 a share. So, uh, you know, I do think it's a little overvalued, even though uh, next year it's just make $8.14, an all-time high. Uh, yields 2.2%, $165 billion market cap. You know, I... Uh, it's okay. Uh, long term, they they make good money, right? Their their long term profitability is relatively solid. Uh, their balance sheet is relatively solid, although the return assets have been dropping a bit uh, over the past twelve months. But a lot of that has to do with COVID, so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, cash flow uh, very positive. So you know, it's your big blue chip name. You're gonna have uh, bouts of volatility, especially the, if the market comes off right it's a, it's a decent size 
of the of the S and P 500 of the index because of its 165 billion dollar market cap. Uh, but it's to me, it's one of those core holdings that you just buy and hold if you like McDonald's, which you know I like it. I just don't know if I love it though, especially at these prices. Now let's squeeze in another caller question this time from Texas. Hey, Stephen, Justin. My name's Adam. I'm calling from Texas. Love the show. I have to say I haven't heard anything about this particular topic before and wonder if you all would weigh in. Steve Mnuchin, he was the CFO, I believe, of Sears Holdings not too long ago, and they went into bankruptcy and have been spiraling into oblivion for several years now. How did he end up as the Treasury Secretary, and why should we listen to him when he talks about how there's going to be a second stimulus package going through? Because I don't know personally about his credibility after what happened to Sears. I'd love to hear your insight. Thanks again. Love the show. Well, Steve Mnuchin was on the board of directors for Sears Holdings from 2005 until 2016 when obviously he uh, he left to be the Treasury Secretary. You know, I, I'm not going to get into the politics of it all and whether you should believe him or his uh, the administration that he works under. It's, it's kind of up to you. I don't know if Sears is really... A, a reflection of that. I mean, he was a board uh, a member. He didn't build the company. He didn't uh, put the company into, I don't think he ran strategy for Sears. So I wouldn't say that their success or failure in this case would be a reflection on him in general. Uh, to me, this, uh, what's happening uh, in, in Washington uh, and in this administration is, has a lot to do with what's the ha- happening with the head of the snake. I think even more than most administrations, the the machinations that happen on a daily basis with the White House has a lot to do with President Trump, for good or for bad, however you want to view it. And he clearly likes his his marching orders, right? He gives his marching orders. He wants his people to... Uh, execute on his marching orders. And for him, at least so far, Mnuchin's executed to whatever he feels uh, is is necessary. And so if you're going to judge, I think, one person, I think you have to judge Trump because he's, for whatever you say about him, he's a very, uh, would you say, strong leader? Hard Nose leader, however you want to say it, he's he's not a softy, for better or for worse, and so um, I think that's who you're judging, not necessarily Mnuchin, because he's just uh, he's one of his the president's men that's doing his bidding for him. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We have about eight minutes left in the show to get your call in. Now let's touch quickly on retirement planning. And, you know, there's an old saying that if you won the game, quit playing. And we see this a lot with clients. And it's those that have, you know, worked a, a long period of time. They have a, a lot, a big nest egg. 
oftentimes multitudes of six figures, many times multitudes of seven, even eight figures, some clients. And they got there because they are aggressive, right? They, they like to invest and they, they, they really put uh, the pedal to the metal when it comes to risk. But when you hit retirement, that game can change, okay? And that's the issue here for a lot of people is that they get to retirement and they have a bunch of money, but they don't really need it, but they're still taking a bunch of risk. And this goes back to that saying, if you won the game, quit playing. So when you reach your financial freedom, make sure that you are de-risking your portfolio and making sure that just because you're willing to take the risk that you necessarily should. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve that personal no. version of financial freedom. Our work continues after this break, so get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve, Justin, Sven calling from Marquette, Michigan. Love the podcast. It's been very informational. Just found it not too long ago. But I had a question on AbbVie, A-B-B-V. They had a negative news catalyst today. And I was just wondering if this would be a good time for a quick buy because of the 3 $4 drop that it had. I look forward to hearing your answer on that one. Have a great day. Now, a quick buy. It sounds like what you're asking about is a trade. Uh, and I, that's not what I would be looking at ad before at the moment. It has started a downtrend, lower highs, lower lows. It did just close. It looks like right at or below its 200-day moving average. It looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to break. It's been been consolidating there for the past week and a half or so. And this looks like a name that wants to get at minimum down to about $86 a share. And ideally, the best support would be around $81, $82. And when you're looking, when you say uh, a quick buy, when you're looking at a trade, which it sounds like what you're asking about, is you need to look at support right? Whether that's moving average, whether that is a previous consolidation area, whether that's a fib retrace, whatever that is, you need to line up probably multiple factors. And to me, the next multiple factor area is about $82 a share. And from a valuation standpoint, I think that would be a pretty good value. I like AbbVie. I think it's a good company. It does have a little bit of a debt issue similar to Teva, but it doesn't have the, the litigation uh, issue that, that Teva has. Uh, they did make a good acquisition of Allegan, which I really like. And so, uh, you know, I, I, really, I don't think that dividend is going to grow. Uh, they're probably going to use excess capital to cash to, uh, to repair that balance sheet a bit. And so don't expect dividend growth, even though right now 5.3%. But if it gets down to that 82 level, I like it there. Now let's go to a question from a listener in San Francisco. Hey, Steve and Justin. I appreciate the podcast and this podcast. This day from San Francisco. Uh, what's your position on the Mylan MYL? Uh, look like the future next year PE is very good and very attractive. So what would be a potential point and what do you think the cost of target prices within 12 months? Thank you. 
are looking at Mylan Labs. MYL is the symbol. This is a Netherlands-based company, $8.3 billion market cap. And this is one of those other drug companies that has a lot of debt, $12 billion in long-term debt on its balance sheet. It is trading relatively cheaply, seven times enterprise value to EBITDA, which long-term is near the low end of, of that range. So I, I like that. Uh, I like that it's denominated in foreign markets, so I like foreign exposure here. Uh, the issue is that there's literally no growth in the business. 2016, they made $4.89 a share. This year, they're supposed to make $4.47, and only $4.55 next year. Literally 1% and 2% earnings growth over the next couple of years. So I definitely don't like that. Uh, I have to look at their patent situation as well, look deeper, because obviously that's an issue. Uh, it, it, it is relatively cheap, I will say that. And it's starting to show some relative strength. Right, the value side of the market's getting a little stronger. This would be one of those names. Uh, so overall, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I'm a little worried about the debt, but I like the fact that it is uh, it is foreign denominated, and it's still very very cheap. And there's no growth here that is cheap on the enterprise value to EBITDA perspective. So I'm a fan of Mylan, and uh, it's actually on my watch list. So. Uh, I'd be looking at it to break above its 200-day moving average. Right now, it's trading at 16.16. Its 200-day is at $17.42. So if we can get above that 17.50 range, I kind of like it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate that that one. Now I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Monday, and Steve will be here tomorrow with highlights from the newest KPP Premium newsletter. And in the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived InvestTalk podcasts for free over at InvestTalk.com. They can actually browse by topic as well. So it's a great way to add to their investment knowledge and yours, hopefully, if you head over there and listen to a few more episodes. So get your free downloads at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and always at InvestTalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.